Welcome in to Chicago's College Tailgate. The conference previews roll along as we have hit the final conference to hit on here, and that is the Pac-12. We'll get to all things Pac-12 in just a little bit. Tyler Aki and Shane Rowling can't wait. By the way, Shay, we are a little over 10 days away from our first show. That'll be September 2nd from 10 to 11 a.m. It is right around the corner. You can smell the football in the air because we've got a game this week, week zeros this week. And we'll have another podcast for you out on Thursday talking all things about just the overarching. We'll give all of our college football playoff thoughts on that as well as preview week zero. So cannot wait for all of that. You got. I know you've got some picks cooked up for us for, I, for this Saturday. I have a whole bag of goodies that I'm oh going to break out later this week. I have you, been in the lab cooking things up. I have a bag of goodies to dig into and throw some money for the people, hopefully. Uh, you uh, this week. you texted Abdallah and myself uh, Shay's bag of college football goodies and had a list of futures. You want to you want to tease the people? Give us give us one little future that's going to be in Shay's bag of goodies here, so people know what they're getting in for on Thursday. I think the juiciest one that I sent is Alabama under ten wins. I and think that's that the, you got. Um, I you think that's the that juiciest thing I sent. Mm-hmm. What is it? Plus one fifty, something like that. It was yeah. It had plus money. It was either like one thirty, one fifty, something like that. But yeah, yes, it was, that was uh, that's a juicy one. We got a lot of interesting stuff cooking up. the The lab has been hard at work. All right, so the, you will get the college football goodies are coming. You will get Snorling's pinata of football goodies right. on Thursday. So be sure if you're not already subscribed. Hit that subscribe button on the Chicago College Tailgate, wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Let's first start, though, before we get into some Pac-12 stuff, let's get into the news of the week. And that is Michigan self-imposing a three-game ban for Jim Harbaugh. So a three-game suspension for Harbaugh. He will miss the first three games of the season. I mean, it was four once upon a time. Then that all got revoked, and it was going to be none. Now it's a self-imposed ban for three games. That suspension covers home games against Eastern Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green. And hang on, because it got revoked because it was viewed as not severe enough. Like the the idea that this is only going to be three games when the four game suspension initially comes down, and then we find out that was never approved and it's not going to happen because it was not viewed as being a severe enough penalty. How is Michigan thinking instituting a smaller penalty themselves will be enough? Like the Pete Thamel reporting yesterday was fascinating, where he's saying Michigan views this as. Like, they are aware of the severity of the charges that are coming, and there will be more punishment for Jim Harbaugh. Like, he's not just going to miss three games. Tyler, I'm at a point where I'm legitimately starting to wonder if he's going to survive. The last time that we talked about this, remember the last time we talked about this, I mentioned Mm -hmm. how many coaches got tagged with level one violations and actually kept that job more than another season. It doesn't happen. Doesn't happen. It didn't happen at Ohio State. It didn't happen either time at Ohio State, frankly. And the second one, it wasn't even anything Urban did. Like this, the NCAA specifically coming out and explicitly saying this is not about a cheeseburger, which became the Michigan media narrative that it was he bought somebody a cheeseburger and that it's no, you met with kids during a dead period because you were scared you were going to lose McCarthy in a pandemic. And you actually cheated. Like, this is where I'm at with this. And I want you can tell me if you think I'm crazy. The NCAA is getting embarrassed publicly by all of the conferences that are realizing they have more power. And the NCAA has no control over this sport. And Michigan has probably been the most defiant school of the NCAA, Jim Harbaugh in particular, for the last, what, five years pushing the limit with the satellite Mm -hmm. camps, always trying to find the little gray areas, the loopholes in the recruiting rules, the little things. He's been there irritant. They can't stand this guy. And you have a university that athletically has gotten away with everything, whether it's the 
invisible athletic director and Ward Manuel, who doesn't show up to make any comment when anything is happening. Santa Ono, who trumps the athletic director to talk about the precious football coach all the time. He's like, the one that announces the these extensions and raises right. for Harbaugh all the time. It, it's crazy because I think Ward hates Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh hates Ward Manuel. And Santa which, you know Ono what? has his little lapdog, which whatever. I love it, actually, because that is a that's a school president that loves his athletics. And I think at a lot of universities, you don't always get that. You get the friction between yeah. school president and athletics. And the athletic director sort of the intermediary. No, Santa Ono loves his, his Michigan Wolverines and wants them to play well out there every single Saturday. And every single time they, they step on the basketball cart, court or the, bas- or the baseball field or the volleyball court. Like He wants – he actually loves his athletics. And I think yeah. it's a rare trait for a university president. But this is where it gets murky, is then you have all of the Bo Schembechler and Bo Schembechler's son stuff, where the narrative became, that's actually not his biological son who was committing the abuses, it's the adopted son, so it's okay. And like the all of the Bo Schembechler storyline that nothing came of, the statue's still up, the hall's still named after him, you have, uh, how about the offensive coordinator who got fired after his house got raided by federal agents for computer access crimes can't find that story anywhere how about the i hired a racist Schembechler name because we didn't vet the tweets where he was like slavery and jim crow good like that's it's crazy and then finally it just feels like the ncaa this is where i'm at is like Everything that is going on with this athletic department, you are completely out of control, and we are going to step in and hit you with a hammer because, one, you lied about it, and two, we hate you. Like, I'm just at a point where this, Tyler, this is going to end up being three games this season. They'll push it out. It'll be six games a season down the road. If not, you know what? We're all going to wash our hands of this. We'll get a new coach. Well, it's the whole. Th- it's almost like the inverse of what we see in college basketball, right? It's the team that knows they're not going to make the NCAA tournament, but they know there's some shady shit happening at their university that they need to. Let's not get dinged for this down the road. Let's yep. let's let's pay our dues now. So they imposed this tournament ban for a team that was never even going to sniff the NIT, even, and and then they end up not having to pay for it down the road when they actually would have made the NCAA tournament. That kind of feels like the inverse here of what's happening at Michigan. Oh, you know, you're going to kick the living hell out of the first three cupcakes on your schedule that you see every single year anyway. So, you know, their game plan, like the back of your hand. And then as a result, we'll pay it down the road when hmm, Jim might not even be here, right? Like, is he going to go leverage another NFL position at that point? I mean, that's his yearly his yearly uh, off-season uh, strategy and vacation is, mm, let's see, does Minnesota need someone? Nope. All right. How about Cleveland? Nope. All right. And then they just play it down the line there. That, to me, is like Michigan knows next year, hmm, maybe we won't, won't be as competitive. Maybe Jim won't be here. Who knows what the quarterback situation is going to be like. All of that – all right, six games next year when it doesn't really matter, we'll pay it then. Yeah, or you know what? Vacate the wins because if we win a national yeah. title, we don't care. Like, you can vacate it after the fact. It's we'll all good. We'll kiss our rings. Yeah, like, I don't know, man. I just, it, it, I don't think it's about the games for the NCAA at this point. Like, I don't think that they care that Michigan's coming in with a retroactive three game self imposed suspension that doesn't match the original suspension, even. Like what? Why is it three? Can you tell me why they would come out and go? Let's do three games. Initial punishment was four. They said that wasn't enough, so we'll do three. Why wouldn't you just come out and self-impose four? Then at least you can go. We thought that was fair. Like it's coming out with three. I feel like this ends up being six or seven. I I, I don't have a good answer for you. I, I listen. A lot of curious things have happened within Michigan's athletics over the last year. And I, I wonder if there's something more there. And it's not just football. It's an overarching – like 
No, seems the, like a lot the of weird things. A disaster. Right. Like the Jawan Howard stuff, he's mm-hmm. totally off the reservation. I mean, the, the fact that, I mean, you had one of the top players in the country, basketball-wise, I'm talking about, Hunter Dickinson, transfer out of your program. When it, I mean, he had been there for four years, three, four years already, like, and he's transferring now. Like, it feels like there's some weird stuff happening within the walls uh, up in Ann Arbor. Which, and I say this as a state fan, it kind of sucks because their football team is finally at a point where it's yeah. phenomenal. And it feels like they have this return to what Michigan was. It's which the is a good for college of, football Yeah, level. like, it's a little bit of what you want even as a fan of a rival where you're not picking on them in the dark years. You get to, like, act, you want to lop them off. You get a chance to slay the dragon a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like they had returned. And the football team's phenomenal, and they should be able to win a national championship or contend for one on their own accord. But all of this happening in the background with an athletic department that's just totally off the rails, objectively. Like, everything that's happening there. I'm sorry. When you have an offensive coordinator get his house kicked in by federal agents for computer access crimes, and we can't find a story about it, like, nobody would fart into a mic long enough for it to make a a B-block on ESPN. I don't understand how that story goes nowhere. It's It's like, it's they just have so many people run and cover for them. At some point, I think the the levy kind of breaks, and we find out what's been going on behind the scenes. I mean, that's what happens when you're uh, the the nation's premier public university, right? Yep. You get treated like a private university at times. So, no, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this whole thing shakes out. Uh, any last thoughts on Jim Harbaugh before we dive into the Pac-12 here? No, nah, it's just you know, I I don't like the guy to begin with. I think he's Same. weird. The statement yesterday was a disaster. It, like the, it just reminds me of how strange he is with the, uh, what what was it? The chickens are a nervous bird. Or, yep. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday, after this comes down, you get it's like I tell my kids and my players, don't get bitter, get better. Mm-hmm. It's like how about you have an ounce of self accountability? You are the most insufferable human being, and it can be easily proven by the track record. Stanford, who had the most success they'd ever had, couldn't wait to get rid of him. San Francisco, gone after four years. Like Michigan's the only place where he lasts more than four years, and it's because that cult fan base and the weird ass athletic department are the only people who will put up with him and he's just god in ann arbor like it just i can't stand him as a jim harbaugh hater my my whole thing is like i feel like i can never lose with jim harbaugh because all right let's say he does go out and win a national championship this year guess what he's beelining to the nfl where he's gonna fall flat on his face yep and that's just how it's going to go because he is made for college football. It's the only place he'll ever have any sort of success. And I'm praying for the day that he goes to the NFL so he can fall flat on his face because he is starting to reach that that apex right now of, all right, it's not going to go any higher than this. Like, this is uh, about the peak of what he can be as a, as a coach. Honestly, um, Losing in the semifinal might be his apex. That might be as far as he can possibly get. Like, it feels like he's up against that wall, and I don't know if he's going to break through. The NFL stuff's hilarious, especially last season. I'm never going to do this again. And then he goes and does it again. And then it's like the th- third time now that he's had to make a statement. I'm committed to Michigan. Yeah, next season, we'll see when you're taking meetings in Vegas because Josh McDaniels got fired out of a cannon. Like, that... It's it just every year it's the same story, and I think it's, it's one half funny, the other half totally infuriating. If I were I, a Michigan fan, I'd be so sick of it. I feel like winning a national championship for him would be his ultimate flying too close to the sun moment. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> the offseason after that would be epic. It's, epic it's the it's the it the, wins the national title and then he's interviewing for jobs in vegas as the ncaa hits the university with a sledgehammer vacates the title suspends him for a full season <laughs> all of it just comes at once oh my god like one of the worst things possible for him might be winning a national championship because like then then you know the ego's going through the roof he's heading straight back to the nfl 
and it's going to end poorly for him. And he and he'll he'll run the whole thing back at another university, try to build his way back up just so he can go back to Michigan and probably repeat the cycle that we've been a part of now. So that would, that would just be my dream. The idea that he wins and it gets vacated and then he goes to Vegas and Vegas goes like 3 and 14 <laughs> two straight years with him as the coach. I would be on cloud 9. Oh, that would be fantastic. All right, let's get into the Pac-12 here because, you know, the more Pac-4. I... Pac-4. Yeah. The, the, what is it? The P4C? Uh, is that yep. what we're going with here? Um, this, like, it's... As I started to dive more and more into what this year looks like, it made me feel a little more bittersweet about the fact that this whole thing was crumbling apart. I know, like, a couple weeks ago, I said, like, oh, I don't really care that much. But as I started to dive into it a little bit more, I was kind of like huh, this is like a a super intriguing conference, at least for this season, because it feels like at times they are sort of the afterthought within. But when you look at, all right, you've got USC. They're finally back to the place where USC is supposed to be. You've got a team that is going to be in the conversation for the college football playoff. You've got a quarterback who is the reigning Heisman winner in Caleb Williams. And, He's got a very good chance to win it again. He's with his his coach Lincoln Riley. Like everything is sort of adding up. Again, we don't see the the back to back Heisman, but when you look at all right, let's start with USC. All right, you've got Caleb Williams five to one to win the Heisman. Mm-hmm. You've also got a team with a chance to make it to the college football playoff this year. If one of those were to not be true, which one is it? Caleb Williams to win the Heisman. Just, I don't think, the back-to-back almost never happens. Making mm-hmm. the playoff, What do you, where are you at? Can you tell me where you're at with USC? Because I, I feel like they could win a national title. I also feel like they could lose three or four games. I'm not that low on them. Like, my floor for them is still pretty high. Like, I, I'm intrigued by the top, like, four or five teams in this conference, but I do think that there is a definitive tier one that only goes about three teams. And USC is certainly a part of that right now. Now they enter the season. SC, Utah, and Oregon. uh, Oh, I I actually have Washington. That's okay. I think Oregon's um, a little, a little clearer Washington, but I'll, I'll uh, we can, we can have, well, that yeah, I, I, cause I have that uh, question for you actually in a little bit. Um, so USC enters the year ranked sixth in the preseason poll. It's the highest of any Pac-12 team. And I look at it as the continuity. Like, sure, you lost a few pieces here or there. But you, when you look at, like, some of the Pac-12 preseason all-conference all selections, like, there's still plenty of talent there. And this is just Lincoln Riley. You're starting to see the revamp, right? Like, he's going out. He's hitting the portal. You're starting to see Lincoln Riley, like, what he was back at Oklahoma and, and not just that, he's taking care of the the offense there, but like defensively, they've got dudes. At Oklahoma, mm-hmm. they didn't really have a defensive team. But now I think with this USC iteration of Lincoln Riley and the ability to have that big brand and everything, I think that this could be the year things really come together and this is a college football playoff team. My problem still, like I know they went out and got Bear Alexander. I know they went out and hit the portal hard, rebuilt this defense a little bit after they kind of had to carry over pieces. And last year this defense was atrocious. You remember the missed tackles Mm -hmm. in the Pac-12 championship game. They couldn't tackle anybody. My issue is still, like I love Lincoln Riley. I think he's a brilliant offensive guy. He might be the best college coach outside of Nick Saban. Like there's... An argument. He's in that conversation. I think he masters something like no one else can master. The ability to be a head coach of an offensively led yeah. team like like nobody masters that like yeah. Lincoln Riley, where he can kind of say, F the defense, somebody else figure that out. I'm not gonna and still find a way to make his way into playoffs. But that's the the defense is the biggest thing that's concerning to me. It's the one thing that makes me look at this team. And even though you go out and get Bear Alexander, you've still got Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator, who was there a year ago and couldn't get these guys to tackle in a phone booth. And you then also he was the guy at Oklahoma the previous three years where they had a brand of playing no defense. They had a brand of air raid, we aren't going to play D, Big 12 football. Like, 
we are all offense. You're right. Lincoln Riley's mastered that. And in the Big 12 and at Oklahoma, it worked well enough that with Baker Mayfield and with Jalen Hurts, uh, or Kyler. Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, yeah. you got a couple playoff berths. Fantastic. At USC in the Pac-12, maybe you can get that magic again. But Utah's there with a legit defense. Oregon is more of a power team. Like Washington, you brought up, I think is talented on both sides of the ball. There's more balance. USC brings in dudes. I just don't know about the scheme. I don't trust that side of the ball from a coaching perspective. I've got too many questions about what this defense actually looks like. Same token, the offense is going to be phenomenal and probably the most fun to watch in college football. And if they can get to 40 or 50 points, good luck scoring that many against them. Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, so this is a team that is 2-1 to to win the Pac-12. Their win total set at 9.5 with monster juice on the over at minus 170. Like, as I look at what – like, and that's the thing too is when you have teams that are as strong offensively but the defense isn't there, some days – like those are the teams that are primed for the upset. Those are the ones where, all right, things aren't always clicking offensively yeah. or you run into a Utah who is always going to be well coached on the defensive side of the football and has always kind of given USC fits because of the defense that they play. I, I look at it from that lens – this is a team that, okay, yeah, certainly going to be upset throughout the course of the year, but you do have the reigning Heisman winner in Caleb Williams, and that to me is sort of the great equalizer at the quarterback position because what he did last year and even in his freshman year under Lincoln Riley back at Oklahoma was nothing short of phenomenal. And he's a weird dude, and maybe this is the year like the, the weirdness sort of catches up to him a little bit. And like the, the the Hollywood starts to come out a little bit more and more and more, but I, I still trust that what this team has built offensively, and I, it's going to be a team that puts up fifty plus points probably three or four times this year. They are the fave in the Pac-12. They should be the fave in the Pac-12. I just, it's not something that I, if like if I'm betting, I'm not getting in the business of betting USC to win this conference because I think it's square. I think everybody's all over it. It's the kind of chic fave this year where you've got the Caleb Williams Heisman story you've got Lincoln Riley this awesome offense it just feels a little too easy I wouldn't get involved I see more value in going the route of Utah Oregon even Washington Um, the, the USC thing too Tyler if you look at their schedule it's not super easy you have to go on the road to notre dame in the middle of october you're at eugene late november 11th go up to oregon to play the ducks uh they dodge oregon state but you might see them in a pac-12 title game it just doesn't feel like the easiest schedule ever washington you get them in L.A. Utah, you get them in L.A., but you run a gauntlet a little bit late in the season with at ND, Utah, breather at Cal, Washington at Oregon, and then UCLA. The schedule's not that light. So, okay, um, I'm with you. I like I wouldn't place the bet on, Pac- on uh, USC to win the Pac-12 because I think there's value. Like I think there's some value on some of these other teams. Yeah. You bring up how you like Oregon, they're plus three twenty. I like Washington, they're plus three forty. I mean, Utah might end up being the best of these teams. Um, might be a little bit tough because of some injuries that they're battling with at the quarterback position right out of the gate with Cam Rising. Uh plus five fifty. So maybe you're working a little bit from behind there. Some people like Oregon State. They're twelve to one there. Um, but one thing when you look at this conference. A lot of quarterback talent. We talked, uh, what was it, three weeks ago now, four weeks ago now, about the ACC and the quarterback talent that they have. This is another conference that has plenty of quarterback talent. Real quick, before we get into, I want to ask you who's number two and why in this conference. But if you had to rank the, the major quarterbacks in this conference, all right, so I'm giving you Caleb Williams, I'm giving you Michael Penix, I'm giving you Cameron Rising, DJU, and Bo Nix. DJU's last. Yes. Um, probably Caleb 1, Rising 2, Penix 3, uh, Bonex 4. I would only flip Penix and Rising for me. 
Um, and and both like these are guys that are experienced as yeah. hell. Like they're a lot all of guys. Penix is a sixth, with the exception of Caleb Williams. Yeah, Penix is a sixth. Uh, Rising, I believe, is a fifth. DJU is a fifth. Bo Nix is a fifth, and then you've got Caleb Williams as your reigning Heisman winner. Like it's, that, you could see a couple of guys put up forty touchdowns this year. Multiple forty touchdown guys this year in the conference. It's and like the Pac-12. You brought it up when we started talking about this that it is bittersweet seeing it collapse as much as it has. And then when you go through what they have in terms of quarterback play, it's a little bit like the ACC. You're right in that. As a whole, I don't care about a lot of the teams, but the top five or six watching the quarterbacks is going to be a blast. Yeah. Like th- this conference is going to go out with a bang. They, oh, yeah. If for nothing else, they're going out with a bang this year, and it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, you were mentioning bringing up the value, and we'll get to Oregon and uh, Washington in a minute. But just the idea, like, I, I wonder how much. It factors in. Is Oregon State going to be playing a little bit ticked off? Like because <laughs> they're they're Will Smith in the in the Fresh Prince of Bel Air room looking yeah. around. Yes. Like is Oregon State going to be playing with a little bit of an edge because they didn't get the invite to the dance? They're the kid in the corner at prom who can't find somebody to dance with. Are they going to be playing with a little bit of an extra oomph in some of these games? Like it's just say it's it's maybe the most big brain thought process, but mm-hmm. it's something I am thinking about. They got a lot of talent on the defensive side. They've got a lot of talent on the offensive side. You mentioned DJU, who I don't care about, but you bring in mm-hmm. like a highly touted transfer quarterback, and then yeah. you add in. Could this team be pissed? They're interesting to think about as a potential Pac-12 champion. Yeah, and at twelve to one, like the value is certainly there. Um, all right, so the the question I have for you: Who is number two in this conference? Because you you look at the the preseason poll for whatever it's worth. Washington is the team that's number two. However, it is Utah that has the second most first place votes out of anybody at six versus Washington's four. But Washington across the board voted a little bit higher among the rest of the voters. Now. I don't put a whole heck of a lot of stock into preseason polls, um, but I do think Washington is my number two team in this conference for a a couple of reasons here. First of all, last year, they lost two games all year, and they were both road shootouts. Like I'm going to give you a little bit of credit there, especially with a first-year coach, Kalen DeBoer. Like If it weren't for Lincoln Riley in the conference, I think we'd be talking about him a lot more than we were last year. And Michael Penix could be one of those sneaky Heisman guys this year at 16 to one. He's certainly in the mix. He's, yeah. I think that's the sixth best odds of anybody. Um, but the value is certainly there for a sixth year guy who was last year for the first time really in his career had the, the benefit of for the most part, good health. This is a guy who he could be on like the, the Joe Burrow plan this year where he doesn't do anything but football. He is literally there not to play school. Like he could just be there to be a football player. And those guys are the ones that sometimes you have just bonker seasons of like 45 touchdowns. He's a good player too. I think you can say a little bit of the same about Bo Nix. Bo yeah. Nix maybe hasn't I mean, had you can say it about any of these guys, right, honestly. These are all guys, like if you look at any of the Heisman odds, these are all guys that are just on the outside looking in. Bo Nix, uh, Michael Penix, Cam Rising, all of them. I, I would go, if not Utah, Oregon as the number two team, mostly because I like Dan Lanning a little bit better than I like Kalen DeBoer. I liked what he did last year coming in as a first-year head coach and ripping off 10 wins. Should have been in the Pac-12 title game, if not for the blown uh, 30 to 17 or 30 to 10 lead, 31-10, whatever it was against Oregon State in the in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Like if not for that, it's Oregon playing USC, and maybe it's Oregon beating USC in a Pac-12 title game. 
I liked what they had a year ago. They return almost everybody. Eight on offense, eight on defense. You get Bo Nix, a little continuity in this system. They aren't the Chip Kelly Ducks that are only going to play finesse and speed and triple option out of the shotgun and all that funky shit. This is a team that's going to get in your face. They've got an offensive line that will move you around. They've got a defensive line that will move you around. Like They're built through the trenches. And I'm not in love with Bo Nix. I don't think he's great, but he's been around enough. And you mentioned being that fifth-year guy that that can just show up and play football and doesn't have a whole lot to worry about. Mm -hmm. And a team in Oregon that's more physical than you might remember that beat Utah a year ago. And like when you talk about Utah, I can't get on board when Cam Rising is hurt to start the year and might not play the opener against Florida, which is a win you kind of need. If you ever needed a non-conference win, that's the one. Mm -hmm. Like, I just I think Oregon is the bet here if I had to pick one of these longer shot teams to win the conference. I look at Washington. They've got receivers on the they've got two guys who were uh voted onto the preseason all Pac twelve first team. You got guys on, on the defensive line. You may I mean, you might have the best defensive line in the conference too. And when you've got a quarterback with weapons and you've got a defensive line that can get after the quarterback and help stuff the run, that's Mostly why I'm going with with Washington here. But again, the number two team, it could be any of what? Five teams, right? Like in a world, let's say like USC doesn't have to win this conference. There's five teams that could finish in second in this in this conference. You know, the other thing, too, Michael Penix has to go back to East Lansing week three, uh, a house of horrors for him. I'm looking, looking out, looking out for Michael Penix returning to a Big Ten stadium, getting a little shook up. The old digs. <laughs> it's gonna be rough, man. I can't look. Michigan State, that home and home, they did it with Arizona State. Yeah, lost on the road in uh, Tempe, beat the brakes off them when they came back. Same thing when they did it with Oregon. Lost when they went to Eugene, beat Oregon when Oregon had to come to East Lansing. I, I like the. Michigan State upsets Washington, and maybe we get a little sideways on this Washington darling Cinderella type of story. I know they made the playoffs a few years ago, but mm-hmm. I just I don't buy it with the Huskies. I'm quacking all the way. <laughs> you are a quack. That's what you are. All right. That's enough. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, okay. So I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Bo Nix. He's back for a fifth year after his first good season in college football. Guy who had a lot of hype. He had a great first game at Auburn. Well, it was against Oregon, wasn't it? It his first collegiate game was against Oregon, and and he made yeah. a little noise in that game, and and then just the career never lived up to it. Then this or this past season finally puts it all together. Throws twenty nine touchdowns, runs for a few more. He's got that that dual threat dynamic that it just it looks right in an Oregon uniform, doesn't it? Like the the dual threat quarterback that just is going to make things happen for you. Um, And and that is what Bo Nix brings to the table once again for this Oregon team. And I I think that, you know, I like Bo Nix. I'm I'm glad for the redemption arc for Bo Nix that he has found a place, but it's just like all these COVID year guys, it's, there's a lot of them. That's the problem. I think is like there's so many of these COVID year guys who are here for a fifth and in some cases a sixth year that some of their performances just aren't going to be good enough because there's another guy out there that has the same, if not more experience than you and you're a fifth year guy. Yeah, it, but the thing with Bonix too, is you get a little bit of a bump from me when you mentioned his first good year in college last year with Dan Lanning. How much of that is also, you're not in Gus Malzahn's offense anymore. <laughs> you're not stuck with that garbage they run at Auburn that Brian Harson took and remade a little bit, but it was all kind of the same shit. You don't have the Gus Malzahn stink on you anymore. I don't care what anybody says. I hate Gus Malzahn more than any coach in America. America. I can't stand him. I think he's horrible. The schemes, they get too cute. I, I, I can't stand it. I think he's got a little bit of the stink off Bonex. Get to Oregon, play behind an offensive line that is legit. I, I'm a big fan of what they can do this year. Um, all right. And then we haven't talked that much about Utah here, but the, the Cam Rising question is really the only one that matters to me. I know mm-hmm. what I'm getting out of a Kyle Whittingham defense year in and year out. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry one ounce on that side of the football. 
But quarterback-wise is where I'm starting to worry about this team because everything feels very coy. Now, maybe it's because, all right, you're opening the year against a non-traditional team. You're going up against Florida, who you played last year in in the home-and-home, and and now you get them again. And Mm -hmm. maybe you're just playing things a little closer to the vest. I don't know. I wonder if, if you were playing like some FCS team out west if we would be getting different answers from Kyle Whittingham leading into this game against Florida. But this is a concern because, I mean, he tore this ACL in the Rose Bowl. So we're talking about this is coming up on um, almost nine months to the day by the time those two teams start playing. Um, So we're going to be talking about a guy who is nine. uh, What I I don't even know at this point, like what is the ACL recovery? Is it eight months now? Is it like you see some guys in six, you see some guys it takes 10. Like I guess it's body to body. But you see some guys who never walk again. Like it feels like it just kind of depends on the guy. And I'm a little concerned because even if you start digging into like the fan forums and you look at some of the alumni places where they talk. What's what's the Utah fan forum, huh? They don't know, Tyler. They don't know what's no, going on. No, no, what, what, what's the fan forum called? I don't remember. You know what okay. I do is I'll go to Google and I just go like Utah football forum and then I'll read through them for a little while and just see what the people are saying. Mm-hmm. They don't They don't have a clue about whether or not Cam Rising's going to play. That, to me, is a huge concern. Like you're talking about how close they're keeping it to the vest. And then how about you – get out of the gates and you got to hit the ground running florida comes to your house then you got to go to waco like you better wake up fast if you're utah because at the end of the season look at this schedule every difficult game is on the road at oregon state at usc at washington at at arizona at baylor like they get no difficult game except oregon in the mountains, in Salt Lake. It just, mm. the schedule is too difficult for me. The questions at quarterback, Cam Rising played through injuries last season, then obviously had the big injury, and they don't know if he's going to play. Like, I just have too many concerns. The defense, it'll be great, but the offense concerns me quite a bit. And his team lost four games last year, should have lost probably five. I don't know, man. It's not one that I'm, like, dying to get behind. Uh, real quick, a uh, little bit of a from your show here. Sidebar, man, approach. Ooh. Favorite favorite fan forums out there. Do you have one that comes to mind? Duke is a really good one. The, I'm gonna the... go another point on the triangle. NC State, Pack Pride. Ooh. Those people are lunatics. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. Duke is a great one. I loved reading the Cameron Crazies. Mm-hmm. Just these people are nuts about their basketball team, and finally they have a football team. To kind of be excited about. It's (laughs) so fun watching them go crazy. Michigan's got some good ones. Um, I've always, like, I used to do work in small-time college basketball. This is so out there. But Mm -hmm. I would dig through, like, Green Bay. It was a nightmare. Because it's, Wait, Green Bay? UW-Green Bay. Yeah, no UW Green Bay. They have to, fan forums. Trying to get betting edges on Horizon <laughs> League basketball games. And it's like you would go every week and it's the same like three people just posting all the time. Uh, UW Milwaukee had a great community. People just would post the same stuff all the Got time. Got it. Fear the Phoenix, and yep. fear is spelled P-H-E-A-R. UWGB, baby. Fear <laughs> the Phoenix. This is great. Oh, this is great. Yeah, there's nothing like a like pro pro sport fan forums essentially dead because of Twitter. Yep. But because college fans live in the past, the fan forum will live forever. Yep. It, like, I love it. <laughs> It, it'll live forever. So I, I'm glad. I'm glad we still have a, a good fan form out there. But I'm, I'm glad we went down that road real quick, so I, I could find out about your degeneracy. Of- I have. <laughs> when we do this again next week, I have some incredible nuggets that I have picked up from reading the fan forums that have led me to place bets on futures. Okay. I, I am so excited to get into it. Shout out Pony Express SMU. We'll talk about it later this week. Sounds good. Can't wait. All right. 
Um, real quick, I do want to just kind of get into like the a little best of the rest here because there still are a number of other intriguing teams. Um, we haven't really hit on Oregon State, but like my whole thing with DJU is there's a reason why these guys transfer out of Clemson, and it's usually because they're not very good. Like, yeah. look at the track record of quarterbacks that have transferred out of Clemson lately. You had Kelly Bryant, sucked at Mizzou. You had Hunter Johnson, couldn't find the field at Northwestern of all places. You had Chase Bryce, he sucked at Duke, and then had a thousand years to try to be good at uh, at App State. Finally broke through a little bit last year, had a decent yep. year at App State. It's usually because it doesn't work. Now, I think Oregon State has a pretty good team built around DJ. Here's the problem, though. We've seen what it looks like when you've got a good team built around DJ, and it hasn't worked. It didn't work in 2021. It sure as hell didn't work last year. And you just kind of look at what this team or what what, – I don't think the Pac-12 is is as – like it's not in the clutches of Oregon State like the ACC was in the clutches – of Clemson like there is more there are more surrounding factors here now if he plays like the recruit that he was if he plays like the number two overall recruit in what was he the class of 2020 or 2021 if he plays like that it must have been 2020 if he plays like that Oregon State will win the Pac-12 I just don't see the world in which that happens the one question I have about DJU and it's like the glimmer of hope is was it Clemson and Dabo losing the coordinators mm-hmm. that really was the impact on the offense? We saw the defense kind of able to hold its own, stay really talented, but they're loaded with NFL talent up front in the trenches. They've got pro players everywhere. Like the offense, it felt schematically was a little bit broken because even when Cade Klubnik would come in, it's not like he was setting the world on fire all the time. Like he just I wasn't think- DJ. Like, right. And that's why Clemson fans loved him. I wonder if there's a little bit of a scheme break at Clemson because the coordinator changeover and Dabo's refusal to do anything new. Like, could that have been the impact on DJ a little bit? And maybe in Oregon State, where they want to run the ball more, they want to be a little more power, can he get back? I don't know. That's my big question. Can a new offense and a new environment reinvigorate him a little bit? And is Clemson schematically broken on that side of the ball? We'll find out early. Like, I wasn't super impressed with Clemson's offense either of the past two seasons, and I'm not just pinning it all on the quarterback. I like. I refuse to believe he's that bad. I'd have to go back. Uh, all right, so I'm pulling up the game because remember his freshman year. He played against Notre Dame in a like it was an epic game. Went to overtime, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the game that Trevor Lawrence had COVID, so he got called on, and he was good. And like I, I remember him being good. And now I'm looking it up. Like he was good in that game. He 29 of 44, 439 yards, threw for two touchdowns, ran for another. Like it's in him somewhere. And the week before, he played against BC, 30 of four, and again, it's BC, but 30 of 41, 342 yards, two touchdowns, um, and also ran for a touchdown as well. Like, it's in him somewhere, and if he can somehow channel that, like, then this Oregon State team really becomes scary and is a team that can certainly win the Pac-12. But I'm just trying to think, what is, like, how, where does he have to rank in the conference quarterback-wise where you feel good about picking Oregon State. Like if I gave you a crystal ball and say DJ Uyunglele is going to be the ex best quarterback in the Pac-12, how how high does he have to be for you to pick Oregon State to win the Pac-12? Third? Like I don't think there's okay. a world where he's as good as K or uh, um uh Caleb. I just don't mm-hmm. think that I don't that, either. They, there's not a planet where that exists. I I doubt that he can approach all three of Cam Rising, Bo Nix, and uh, Michael Penix. But if he can beat one of them, two of them, like get to three, I could see this team being good enough. I just, they bring back a lot of talent on offense, man. I like what Jonathan Smith has built. I, I kind of enjoy the coaching. I, I think what they were last year was mostly real. Got a little lucky with the fourth quarter comeback against Oregon. But they're legit talent-wise. And you brought up, when Tony Elliott was the OC back in 2020 for Clemson, DJU has that game against Notre Dame. Like, 
I do kind of feel like Venables leaves, goes to Oklahoma, Tony Elliott leaves, goes to Virginia, and maybe the scheme just broke. Like, I, I really, I'm hesitant to call DJ dead. I'm. It, let me ask it this way. If it's DJU just is horrible, or Clemson's a little bit broken, which do you think might be more true? I would tend to say the that Clemson's a little more broken because things seem to have gotten a little. I think maybe they're back on the more of the upward swing now, but things did get kind of dicey the year leading into the the exodus yeah. of the coordinators, and then obviously after they did end up leaving, and like number two overall prospects, especially when they're quarterbacks. Don't fail. They right. may fail in the NFL, but they don't necessarily. They usually don't fail in college, and that's why I think it might be in him somewhere. But uh, it's tough. Like he, he just he was given weapons. He that team was not winning because of DJ, even though they had good records and, and they had uh, like chances to to get to the like they weren't doing it because of him. That defense was carrying him along. That running game yeah. was carrying him along. And it's just like every single week, it was kind of like, all right, well, imagine if he starts to play better. Then this Clemson team is scary. And then he just never did play better. So we'll see. I, I, I find it hard to believe that he just is uniquely awful. Uh, but, you know, we'll see. Anything from the bottom of this conference that stands out to you? Like UCLA is the only team that's interesting. But but I think there's turn- intrigue at Colorado. Not that I think they're going to be a good they team. They stink, but I Not agree. Not that I think they're going to be a good intrigue. team. Intrigue, but there's intrigue with Colorado because of the arrival of Deion Sanders. Do you know the interesting thing? Like UCLA, the only talking point is really new quarterback. How good can Dante mm-hmm. Moore be? The interesting thing about Colorado, Shadur Sanders, all these guys. You have the mm-hmm. the Travis Hunter. Prime. Yeah, at TCU week one. I think Colorado is horrible. Can they go to TCU and shock the world? Because I think TCU sucks. Like, is this the spot where Nebraska probably beats you? Like, you're not going to win more than two or three games. But can one of them be at TCU? And we get one week of Coach Prime has it in Colorado. He's got the Isn't that the, like, you can envision the press conference already, right? After they win, like... The world count as us out, Coach Prime. Like that, it, that's what you're gonna get. Like I, yeah. you can envision that right now. I think that's a sneaky good one there. Um, but yeah, no, like they're picked to finish 11th in the conference. They suck. The what? What is their win total here? Let me let me see. Win total for Colorado three and a half probably. Um, you have hit it on the head with heavy, heavy juice on the under minus 154. So. You could they're not never gonna be get good. me to bet that. I, but, they're not okay. going to win four games, but you could never get me to bet under three and a half. Long term, is this going to work, Deion at Colorado? They're going to the Big 12, so, I, dude, I don't know. I really don't. Like, I, I kind of thought that USF was maybe a more natural job, and I know it's not Power 5, so it doesn't have the juice, but if you're just comparing strength of program, USF is a stronger program than Colorado. Colorado is one of the most difficult jobs in the country. Like, we've talked a lot about Northwestern and the difficulty Mm -hmm. that it is to get players there. Colorado for an entirely different reason. But it is right there with Northwestern as the most brutal Power 5 job that there is. And the idea that Dion's just going to come in and in three or four years turn this into a powerhouse, I find it incredibly hard to believe. You probably get some class relief in the Big 12 because Texas and Oklahoma are leaving, but nah, man, like, what do you, what's the barometer for this working? Getting seven, eight wins a season? Honestly, the barometer for this working is does he get a better job after? Like, how quickly does he right. get his next job? Like, how that's what it is. How long until Mike Norvell gets canned or leaves Florida State willingly? Because that just always has felt like Dion's natural landing point. Or Miami, one of the two. Like, yeah. He, so, but you're right. Like Boy, South, can you imagine Dion holding a bag of money at Miami, just throwing them at kids? those boosters? Like, oh, would love them. What would if Jimbo? Him. 
What if Jimbo gets smoked out of A&M? I think it's too soon. Because, like, that could happen this year. That could I don't happen think it th- does happen this year, but it could. It could happen. Like, if, I mean, they don't win eight, nine games, like, see ya. <laughs> He's yeah. out. Like, and, but I think it would ha- it would be too soon for something like that. But it's certainly intriguing. Like the, it is ultimately what is his next job. That's the barometer for success. And it's just, I think South Florida would have been good for him too. Like you brought the, them up, or or even like a Central Florida, like somewhere with those those Southeast ties for him, where he can go and recruit. The hotbed. He can go and rec- or even like somewhere in Texas too. Yeah. Go and recruit because that guy is going to win any 50-50 battle because yeah, of Deion Sanders. I would have been all in on him at USF, Colorado. Like it also just kind of feels like a culture clash. I feel like Dion needs to be at some place that's kind of got the bad boy counterculture thing, like a Florida State, an A and M, a Miami. Mm-hmm. That kind of fit feels more natural. Colorado, it does feel a little bit like a Mel Tucker type destination. I'm going to leapfrog someplace else. Yeah. As soon <laughs> as the better gig comes up, I'm gone. It, you know, it would be an interesting one, and it won't happen because he's done a good enough job at at his school. But Kentucky, Mark Stoops isn't getting fired anytime soon. But I feel like that would be an interesting. Can you imagine the ego battles with Cal and Prime? Like that would be that would be awesome. You know what else would be cool is we'd get to see him and Kirby Smart go head to head. We get to see, like the Kentucky Tennessee games would be awesome. What about like a South Carolina? I think that's a better fit than Kentucky. Like that or, actually. If he goes to the SEC, I feel like A&M or South Carolina are two schools that make a lot of sense. If he were to go to the ACC, I think it's Louisville. Miami or Louisville, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah you said Miami and Florida State, too. But, like, Louisville would be, like, my dark horse, I think. What about, the big, what about the Big Ten? If he goes to the Big Ten, it feels like it would have to be... I have my pick. I, Ohio, Ohio State would never hire him. Like, that's no. the school that I was like, it would have to but he, They'd never hire him. Nebraska. You think so? Uh, would he live in Nebraska though? No, yeah, he's not. gonna do. He's um, gonna do cornfields in Lincoln. <laughs> but that's like the type of program he would go to. Maybe not the location he would go, but the type of program he would go to. I could see that. Um, Michigan State would never was, hire him. That's you don't think the so? Same, it's okay. the same type of program, but I don't think they'd hire him. I, I, because I was gonna say, you know, Michigan State might be one that that would do it um, it fits like culturally i think it fits everything kind of it, it makes sense they love the nil they love the portal but i yeah. don't know if they i don't know if they go for them also yeah. you can't poach from colorado two straight coaches i'll, I'll be <laughs> upset just that alone would make me upset ish beyond the horn all right that is gonna do it for us here again don't forget we have our first show september 2nd 10 to 11 we will usually be on at 9 to 11 after the conclusion of the the CDGA golf show. But until then, we will be on 10 to 11. And, of course, we will have weekly recap podcasts for you as well every week. On Thursday, we will be back with you because we're going to give you our college football playoff thoughts. And Shay has his pinata of goodies, of college football goodies. So get ready for it. That's all coming up this Thursday. Subscribe if you're not already, and we'll talk to you Thursday.